morning. My name is Chris Waybright. And I am Ashley Polly. Our scripture reading today is from Ruth 4, verses 1 through 17. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of the people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. And I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his people or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he went to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. You may be seated. This morning, we come to a happy ending story. And I am telling you, people all over the world, whether you are young or old or anybody, we love happy ending stories. Now, the reason, I think, is when the life is really hard, we just hope it's going to work out. And happy ending stories sort of give us that, that hope. But you find them everywhere. So here in Southern California, I figure with all the movie making, we must have a few happy ending movies. 
So I've been doing my own little survey here over this past, it's just informal survey. I started with uh, kids to find out, um, what are your favorite movies with happy endings? And I got all sorts of answers. Uh, Inside Out, I see the Matt Henry and Russell here, Home Alone, Christmas version. But the one that was said to me most often was uh, Beauty and the Beast. Great, great ending. So I thought I need to ask some of the women too. So I've, I've asked a number of you. And, and the answers I got often started this way. Well, every Disney story is like that. Or all Hallmark movies are like that. Um, but the one that I'm going to show you is You've Got Mail. Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks. I say that because Chris said that. And like I said, this isn't a fully objective um, sort of a survey. Then I thought I needed to ask the men too. And mostly I got sports movies. So I got Rudy, rem, rem, see, Remember the Titans. But maybe because I asked so many church people and pastors, I got Lord of the Rings. Oh, what, a great, what a great ending that is as well. And then I thought, because Christmas is right at hand, I wondered if there are any favorite happy ending Christmas movies. And it was tied. I mean, th th this was quick. Many said it's a wonderful life. But because I broke the tie, it is Christmas Carol, because I love seeing Scrooge just overwhelmed on Christmas Day. Well, here we are today. You've heard it uh, as Ashley and Chris were reading to you. We, we come to a great, great happy ending story. But actually, when you think about it, the entire Bible is one of those. I mean, it tells us all the difficulties that go on in the middle, and we're in some of that right now. But I'm telling you, if you want a happy ending story, look at the very end, Romans, I mean, Revelation 21 and 22. In this world in which there's sometimes sickness and failure and loss and even death, it's going to end with no tears and, and no pain and, and no dying whatsoever. And within the Bible, there are other stories that sort of point toward that greater ending that everything is going to be, well, a very happy ending. And one of them is the one we come to today. It is the ending of the book of Ruth, this incredible story that you heard the very ending. Now, I knew we would have a few people in church who haven't been here for every one of our messages in, in Ruth. So especially for our children who are here, there is a word that I've been wanting to teach everybody here that I want you to learn. And then I want you to learn to live it. It is a Hebrew word. And that word is hesed. Can you say that with me? Hesed. One more time. Hesed. So I hope you'll never forget it. I'm going to bring it up several times this morning. And it is a word. It's a beautiful word. It points to all of the great ways that God treats us. It has to do with his kindness to us his willingness to forgive us even when we failed. So it has to do with his mercy and his grace that he starts all over again with us. It has to do with his, his faithfulness to us and to his loyalty. It's the way that Jesus lived. It's the way that I, as your pastor, want to live. It's the way I want you to live as well. So today we're going to come and see two people in the story of Ruth who lived lives of hesed. Um, now, I know you haven't been here for all of it, so I've got to do something. I've got to recap the story as quickly as I can. <clears throat> the, the, uh, the story of Ruth is told in four episodes, it's like four chapters. Okay, chapter number one, episode number one, I've called it No Food 
and empty. No food and empty. Because what happens is, there's this Jewish family, the father is Elimelech, they lived in God's promised land in Bethlehem, the city of Bethlehem, a word that means a town of bread. But there was no bread in the town of bread. <laughs> so because they needed to eat, they left and they went to the place where no good Jewish man would ever take his family, but they went there anyway to, to, Moab, to Moab, great enemy of Jewish people. And while there, Elimelech died, and his two sons, Malon and Kilion, they got married and then they died too. And that left the two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, and Naomi, the, the grandmother, uh, or the mother, um, alone in a, in a man-centered world. So then they had to make a big decision. So Naomi heard, oh, there's some bread back again in Bethlehem, so let's go back there. But then Orpah and Ruth had to make a big decision, and you may know Orpah went back to her own people and to her gods, but Ruth showed, what's the word? Hesed. She stuck with her bitter, angry old mother-in-law and went back to Bethlehem uh, with her, just as the barley harvest was beginning. I think I have a picture here to kind of show you Naomi and, and Ruth going back home. You can kind of picture it. I bet they didn't look like that, but you can imagine it. That brings us to episode number two. Food but no future. So this young immigrant Moabite woman named Ruth cares enough for Ruth that to try to support, I mean, cares enough for Naomi, the older woman, that to try to support them so they wouldn't starve to death, she is willing to put herself into danger. So she goes out, goes to work in the fields, a very, very dangerous place. Actually, it's like begging to simply try to support her, her mother-in-law. It was a dangerous place. But while there, God led her to the field of Boaz. And Bo you'll see, Boaz was a good man. And when he got there, even though nobody seemed to even notice this immigrant refugee woman who was there in their town, they didn't want her there, Boaz went to her. He spoke with her. I have a picture here just to kind of have you picture it too. Spoke to her. He cared for her. He provided for her. her he protected her in the midst of her danger, and he helped her to belong. She was there for the entire harvest, but unfortunately, it only lasted seven weeks. So that at the end of seven weeks, she had plenty of food, but they had no future. It was again back to where they started. They, what are they going to do to be able to live the rest of their lives? And that's where we end chapter, episode two. You think, I might be going to tune in for episode three. But then you did, because Jeff was going to be preaching that week. And I've called it Hope But Uncertainty. So, so Naomi and Ruth sort of plot together because they found out that Boaz was related to Elimelech. And in their culture, in that whenever a person had lost everything, a widow was there, they needed to find somebody in the same family who would welcome them into the family and actually marry the widow. And they said Boaz could be one of those. So what happens, and, and I have a picture of this for you to see as well, what happened, going against all cultural norms, Ruth proposes marriage to Boaz. And he says, yes, but. It's kind of like a modern-day romance movie. This is going to feel like a Hallmark movie. There's another guy in the story who's a closer relative than Boaz. And deep inside, when we hear about this guy, we know he's not the right one for Ruth, right? Don't you know that deep inside? 
And, and so they wonder what's going to happen. Ruth wants to marry Boaz. Boaz wants to marry Ruth. His other guy is in the way. End of episode chapter three. We're going to wait and see what he does. That brings us to today, the ending story. Still here with me? I, I call it Hesed Triumphs. The, the triumph of Hesed. There was a decision made in verses one through 10. So I put up one of the verses. Mr. So-and-so, I'll tell you about that in a minute. The closer guardian redeemer said to Boaz, you buy the property yourself. And he removed his sandal. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, as Ashley and Chris were reading, but I'm telling you, when I read these first 10 verses, I feel like I'm there. I can almost imagine Boaz as he's talking with all these people. Where it is set is in the uh, city gate, town gate of Bethlehem. And you need to know if you've ever been in some of these areas, it's still a little bit like this. At the city gate, that's where all the big decisions were supposedly made for the town. And the men were always sort of sitting around there talking with one another and making big decisions while, as one of the women scholars that was a friend of mine said, they were sitting around talking while the women did all the work. And uh, I don't know if things have changed. Well, maybe they have uh, in that. But at that point, Boaz had devised a plan. And as this other closer relative to Elimelech came through, he calls him over. And in our version, it says, friend, come over here. But that isn't really, it's really like he says, hey, you. Uh, doesn't give us his name. And if you can read it in the original language, which was Hebrew, it rhymes. It's, it's like he says, Mr. So-and-so, because the Bible doesn't want us to know this man's name, want us, wants us to know Boaz's name. He says, come over here. Uh, I, I've got to talk to you about something. I, I have a picture of this for you to sort of see uh, all the way to the end. And as Boaz is going to talk to Mr. So-and-so, he calls 10 of the elders of the city to make sure that they hear what's going to, what's going to take place. So Boaz says, listen, you know that Naomi, Elizabeth's widow, has come back. And uh, she, they're in tough place. she's in a tough place, and she wants to sell the property of Elimelech. And so uh, somebody needs to do that. You're the closest kinsman. Would you like to do it? And you can almost imagine, he thought, oh, good. She's an older woman. She'll never be able to have a child for just a little bit of money. I can buy property and make it a part of my own estate. And he says immediately, of course I want the property. Then comes verse 5, which is the master stroke. I love it. I'll put it up here. I think I have it for you. He said, oh, you need to know this. On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, yes, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with the property. You, you just feel it. As soon as those words are out of his mouth, uh, he says, oh, Boaz, I can't redeem it then. It would cost me too much. It would endanger my own estate. And by that, you, you're still here with me, aren't you? By that, what he meant was, he was going to have to pay money to buy the property. He was going to have to take care of Naomi and Ruth. He would have the problem of having an additional wife, which didn't seem appealing to him. And if Ruth gave birth to a son, eventually he couldn't even keep the property. So what he says to Boaz, you just redeem it yourself. And Boaz says, I will. <laughs> And he calls all the elder, elders over to affirm that so that he can't go back on his word, words. 
And then he did, as they did in that day, because um, uh, they didn't sign documents. He gave him a sandal. I don't even know if I'd want to handle that sandal as an agreement that he was going, going to do it. And, and then, uh, so, so now it, it happened, it's happened, and the celebration just erupts. And I called it the celebration. Verses 11 through 17. Then all the elders and the people at the gate said, We're witnesses, and may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. And may you, Boaz, be as famous, be famous in all of Bethlehem. I just, I, I just want to tell you, this ending is as good as any ending in any of those movies I showed you before. Um, it starts right there at the city gate when the elder shouts out blessings in verses 11 and 12 for Boaz. Uh, the elders pray a blessing that Boaz will have a name that no one will ever forget. And here we are, 21st century says, you don't know even who Mr. So-and-so is, but you know who Boaz is. And they say that you will be as great as many of the great leaders of our own nation and our own city. And Rachel was a part of their blessing too. They said, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. And, and you need to know this. They also were immigrant women brought in to the family of Abraham, who together built up the family of Israel. But then what happens is, as you get beyond this, it moves forward at least nine months, and you can figure out why, to when Ruth gives birth to a son. And the women are there this time. And I especially just love one of the parts of their effusive blessing upon Ruth in verse 12. They say, uh, Ruth is better than seven sons. I guess you, you should have been shocked about that. They were saying something like this. Take that, you men who sit around the city gate and talk endlessly. This one woman has done more than seven men could do. It was something that the men of that town needed to hear, and maybe some of us do as well. And to complete the story, Naomi, the older woman, is blessed by receiving a male heir through her line and those of her husband. And verse 16 is so touching. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and cared for him. This old embittered empty woman is bitter and empty no more in fact when you read it the entire town <laughs> celebrates it is a truly a rejoicing that takes place god loves the celebrations it is one of the greatest endings in any story that could ever happen in fact there's one more point i've called it the shocking ending look at verse 23 17. they named the child obed he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. That, that whole verse just seems to come out of the blue. I mean, what, if you were reading this thing for the first time and you'd lived back then, you would say, who could have ever expected that? All of those little decisions that people made, all that Ruth and Boaz did to try to please God and to show God's ways to one another, all those things were going to lead to this woman from Moab and this businessman becoming the one through whom the greatest king of our entire nation was born. 
It's just a shocker. You, know, you should look so much more shocked. <laughs> that God is here at work. And I'll tell you, the, the message that comes through the book of Ruth is that God does his work, even rescuing his people. Not always through. Some of the people who live in the same time as Ruth were these great superheroes like Samson and Gideon. But he does it so often through just ordinary people, a businessman who treats people as God treats people, a Moabitess immigrant, refugee woman, hardly even noticed in the community, faithful to God. And of course, you and I know that it wasn't just the city of Bethlehem that was blessed. It wasn't just the nation of Israel that was blessed. Because who came through the line of David? Can, can anybody give me an answer to that? We're in church. It's not hard. It's Jesus. In fact, first Sunday, this could have been the first Sunday of Advent sermon, don't you think? Next week, you will even be seeing that, that in the lineage of Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 1, read the genealogy. All of these people are there, Ruth and Boaz and Obed. Look at verse 5 and you'll see it. God was preparing something that even this morning as we gather, that through these very simple people simply being faithful to God in the midst of very difficult times, the entire world has been blessed. Now, it's, it's such a deep conviction of mine that when we read God's word, that we don't just read it and go home, that it changes our lives. Do you know that? And it's always my prayer that when we read this word, it would not just change our lives individually, but it would change our church. So I've asked myself, what should change our lives and change our church? And you with, I want you to be with me here. Number one, I want to say this to you. Things don't just happen. Thanksgiving, we remember a lot of the good things. They're blessings from God. We thank God. But there are tough times in all of our lives when we want to have a happy ending and it looks absolutely impossible. Things don't just happen. God has something that he is doing. If you're walking through a difficult time right now, whatever that might be, I want you to know that God is there. God knows your name. He has not forsaken you. And I want you to learn to trust him. Nobody has gone through much more difficult times than Ruth did, not knowing where her next meal would come from, out there begging in a field, in a very dangerous place for her to be. How could anything good come out of all of this? And yet here we see that the greatest thing has come out of all of this. Any time in your life, hopefully you'll remember this day of us coming together, in your life, whenever you face a difficulty, I want you to remember that there's no God-forsaken place, there's no God-forsaken time in this entire universe. God knows what he is doing, and he wants you to be faithful to him in those times and to trust him. Now, the main way to be faithful to him is the second thing I want to say to you. I want you to live a life of hesed, do you remember that word? It means the way that God treats you and me, that, that he is kind to you and me, that he forgives you and me, that he's faithful to us, and we need to learn to do that ourselves, just as, as Ruth and Boaz did. I mean, read through the story, and you'll see the difference. Uh, chapter 1, episode 1, you had Orpah, the other daughter-in-law, and Ruth. Orpah did what everybody thought, this, this makes sense. Go back to your own people. Go back to your own gods. And she did. The one who, who did what seemed, what didn't make any sense. Ruth simply being faithful to be kind to her mother-in-law and to go back to the Jewish people who hated Moabite people. 
She only went because she was reflecting the hesed of the God she was just getting to know. Your God will be my God. And, and we see the same thing in Boaz. We look at this Mr. So-and-so making his decision, and it's the decision you know as well as I do that most of us would make. It made no financial sense <laughs> for him to take these people into his, into his family. It was going to be very costly for him, but it was also very costly for Boaz. But he made it, showing kindness, showing faithfulness, showing the ways of God. God used it in powerful, powerful ways. Uh, I don't know how you do this. I, I think within family, uh, sometimes it's hard for us to forgive our brothers or sisters. I, I think sometimes within the life of the church, I think student ministries, I was a student pastor. You know, I started that way. Harry, uh, I was a middle school pastor. You know, the hardest thing for student ministries is that when new people come in, already friendships, sometimes we call them cliques, have been formed, and there's nobody to welcome. If we live lives of hesed, we will notice who is there and doesn't seem to fit at home. And every one of us can engage. I, in fact, I'll just show you the, the slide that I used in, in that message about what Boaz did. Do, do we have that? I'm looking to see that what Boaz did to welcome others in. That he saw um, Ruth in the field, that when nobody even else noticed her, that he saw her as valuable, that he protected her when she was in danger that he provided for her when she had nothing, and he helped her to fill at home. Again, that's, that's the way I want to live among you here. And that's the kind of church I want us to be. If we will all engage in those kind of lives of hesed, it will make a huge difference in this church and in this community, and I think in the world. And then the last thing, I, I just want us to be a, a church of hesed. All right, here we go. Next week... We're going to come together for our first December uh, service. And, and if any of you have been in church very much, you know December is the month where every church in the country, every nonprofit in the country, has to raise enough money to meet its budget before the year's end because people give at that time. It's always a challenge for us like it is for every church in the world. Human wisdom would say, Pastor, focus on that, just your budget, and nothing else. But at the same time, I just got to tell you, God has been putting some things on our hearts that we didn't know when we planned the budget that these things would happen. Like the hurricanes that have hit, that have affected so many here who have heritage in Puerto Rico and, and some of the rural parts of Texas. And a deep desire I have and many of us have to be involved in trying to provide some of the relief for the recovery of the, of the people who are there. We don't have anything in the budget for that. And then this other thing that's been on my heart for years now, but that's been brought home just the past few weeks, of this major migration of people by the millions, making them open to experiencing some of the love of God through the people of God, and, and, and making them open to meeting this person who often is coming to people dressed in white, but had, need to have somebody as a witness there to tell them who he is, and I thought, God, you're going to do this. It's only by your grace that we can be a part of it. But we don't even have any seed fund, uh, funds 
to send the next teams there. We want to send some teams to Puerto Rico. We, we pray that we can send some more teams out to do the ministry among the refugees and the relief. So with God's leading, we believe, we've decided to take a very small step that if God pours out his blessing richly, we're hoping it will be much bigger. And so I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Jeff Matisich to come up. Somebody else in your family was the star of the movie this morning, Jeff. But we're going to let you play a bit of a role here in telling us what God's been putting on our hearts. I mean, you heard that. This is the time of year, and especially you, you're all readers. You read the worship folder. This time of year, we are behind where our projections are, and yet the Lord has been very clear to us at Lake Avenue Church. In fact, we have said this along the way as each disaster has come that we are praying and discerning so many of you have written and said when when that work starts count me in and really what we believe uh, God has called us to is very simple in the month of December and if you're new and you're visiting us we want you to be part of this church family so enjoy this family news and join us <laughs> in the month of December we typically bring in about 1.2 million dollars into our uh, the life of our church it's a big month for us and we need to do that um, and probably a little bit more to be on target. And what we have just said is that 2% uh, of all the money that comes in from this Sunday through the end of the year, 2% um, will be committed as seed money to continue our relief work in two specific, two specific areas. 1% to continue the work that Scott and the team and that beautiful woman on the video shared about. Uh, with our refugee relief specifically in Lebanon, we sense God is calling us to continue to support the Church of Jesus Christ in Lebanon. One percent of all that comes in in the month of December will go to continue the ministry there. And then one percent for disaster relief. Specifically, we believe that God has called us to the places where the resources are needed the most that don't get the most press. And clearly Puerto Rico, and we're still discerning partners there, and in rural Texas the places that don't show up on the news with the needs there. What I love about this is that it is so consistent with who God has called us to be at Lake Avenue Church. Many of you were here many years ago after Hurricane Katrina. And you know that our high school students went there one, one summer for a week and God gripped their hearts and came back to this church and through the ministry of this church, we partnered with a congregation in New Orleans and got all of their church, fam their church members back in their homes. And yet again, our kids are leading the way for us. Catch that Lake Avenue Church. The last two years, our elementary age children have learned about refugees and God's heart for what we have spent four weeks talking about. And through their commitment, have inspired a new movement of work, relief work in Lebanon and will continue to be Lake Avenue Church in rural Texas and Puerto Rico. And so this month, when we need the most, we believe God is calling us out in faith the most. And the sin of all of us, the sin of all of us is the sin of scarcity, to believe that somehow we're, we're, all, we're not going to be okay. But we trust the Lord is leading, and we trust the Lord will move in your life, in your heart, and that this month of December, um, this month ending the year, will be a year in which we all come together as a church family, not just to meet our budget, but that the small act of faithfulness the small act of said will go on to change uh, the world for the gospel and real needs will be met. Puerto Rico, rural Texas, and Lebanon. So let's do this together. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Jeff, did you say that if we go above that, we're going to give more? If 
if the, I if did the say that, didn't I? Approves, didn't I? Let's just pray for the most generous month, and, and then we will have to have some meetings to figure out what to do with the extra. Amen? Amen. 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 Right. We're going to have a song, I yeah. think, now. Church, we want to